Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 49. This week, we're going to talk about the top 10 board games for gamers. Also, we'll have a featured at the table with Walt City, Acquisition Disorders, an open letter to board game publishers, and all the news, previews, and reviews that you need to know to bring you up to date on everything in the board game industry. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have to table together. This is Chris. And this is Daniel. And that seems to be it for this week. Yeah, we're a few men down. There are a lot of games on the table that we could not play because we have too few players this week. <laughs> but we're glad to bring you the episode, and we're glad that you're joining us this week. Anthony and Drew are out doing holiday things. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, at the very, you know, in one sense it's kind of sad we don't have them here and we couldn't play any four-player games or yeah. any of that. But on the other hand, we all know who the real draw is. Here. I know. What's it, anything? It's concentrated sexy. That's what this is. Just Hi. How you doing, ladies? It's good to have you here. Hey, and gentlemen. You never know. <laughs> hey, guys. What's up? I mean, the fans have been asking for this, you know, you know, coupling for a long time. It's it's uh, it's it's electrical. It's magic. I'm seeing the bromance going on here. It's mm. it's happening. It'll be a story for the ages. I know. People are listening on their headphones and just like this could be too much. But I'm going to listen on. And we appreciate that. So we're glad to have you here. And we have a whole roster of great games to talk about today. So this episode, we're going to talk about gamers' top 10 party games. So maybe there's been some opportunities in the past where people have invited you to come to a party. They want to play some games with you. You get to the party or you bring some great games with you. And then you show up and it's these really absolutely positively lame games. And it's just not engaging, it's not fun, it's not at our level, and it's just really kind of takes the fun out of gaming for us. So what we wanted to do this week is give you games that actually are fun for gamers and for family and friends who may not be hardcore gamers. Yeah, and I think this is a pretty challenging topic in a sense, right? Because for me, party games are usually neither games nor party appropriate. <laughs> they're just, they're terrible, right? You yes. just sit around saying silly things or making silly noises at one another and nothing happens. And right, there, there's no dynamic in the game and there's little interaction. It just isn't very good. But finding a game, a set of games that are both uh, engaging as games themselves and provide for that sort of social interaction that makes a party game a party game... It's a pretty challenging thing to do. Yeah, I mean, it's very important, especially at this time of season where you're going to have family and friends coming over and they're going to ask you what to bring or you're going to bring a game. And you want to be able to have something, as Daniel was saying, that bridges everyone. So everyone's happy, everyone's engaged. Yeah. Shout it from the tabletops! <laughs> Sir, you're going to need to get down from there. For this week's Shout It From The Tabletop, I have a special open letter to board game publishers. Dear board game publishers, we love your work. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have the outstanding components, artwork, and gameplay that we have each and every day and day that we sit down at the table with friends and family. But we wanted to remind you of something that may not be, you know, generally on your radar. And by that I mean the reducing, the reusing, and the recycling of materials that not only would help the environment, but also help us as gamers purchase more products from you. So first off, reducing. Now, I understand that you want to have as much shelf presence as possible, but let's be honest, most people buy games online. And those who do in this industry research the games long before they ever see the cover. So instead of spending so much money to produce the biggest box possible, why not build a box that's just big enough for the components so that it doesn't cost you as much and that, more importantly, I can find a place to store this game. 
Now, I bet you that you've watched online many, many videos where board game reviewers are reviewing games and you could see in the background their elaborate shelving system that's about to fall down from the weight of all those games. And usually at the end of the interview, they say, it was really nice to meet you, so-and-so games. I'm hoping that I can fit your game as part of my collection because we're running out of room. These board game boxes are just way too big and we can't fit them all in our space. So instead of keeping these games, playing these games, and advocating for these games, we have to say goodbye to these games because the boxes are just too big for no reason whatsoever. Now, let's also talk about reusing. Now, some of these boxes, when you are producing big boxes, have a lot of empty space in it. Now, I don't want to have to break down my game, lose the box, lose the insert, lose a lot of the wonderful wrapping that comes with a game in order to kind of fit into my shelf. Why not, and I'm talking to you, Cryptozoic, with your games, we have that insert and you do have that extra room, whether it's beneath it or above it or to the side of it, why not make an insert that fits all the game components if you must produce such a big box, but you know, reduce the other space, leave the other space open so that I can fit other components from other games or maybe a dice bag or a pad or other materials that I could use with your game. By reusing that space, I'll be more likely to keep around your game longer instead of kind of trying to squeeze something in that just does not fit any longer. And finally, recycling. So with many gamers, we're all a bunch of nerds and proud of it. And we do have serious considerations about our environment and especially the next generations that are coming up. And I'm sure that you've seen plenty of products out there in the paper arena where whether it's toilet paper or it's copy paper or several other products that it says proudly that they use recyclable material in their product. Now, wouldn't it be great to pick up a board game, flip it over and see that that stamp is there, that this game is 80, 90, 100% made of recycled material? Why not? Everyone would be proud to put that game on the table instead of putting down this huge box of paper, wood, and plastic. You can say, well, that's all been recycled. This game is here for play. So it doesn't have to, you know, tear down many trees. It's just reused material. And people would be willing to pay more for a game that had those recycled materials. That's already been proven in the market. So board game publishers, why not reduce reuse, recycle. I mean, we already re-roll, so we're not throwing out dice when we get a bad roll. We're just re-rolling them again. So let's use that principle to benefit the market and benefit your bottom line. And now, our acquisition disorders. Acquisition disorders? That's crazy. Only needs the base game. Nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion. See? Nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game and the expansion and the promos and, of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion, the promos, and the upgraded components. See? That's not too much. But maybe, I don't know, maybe you might need the expansion. All right, so now on to our acquisition disorders. Daniel? Well, so my, my first acquisition disorder this re- week is a, is a pretty small one. It's Rory Stories Cubes. Now, this game is, is kind of like Once Upon a Time. It's a storytelling kind of game. But instead of based on cards, it's based on dice with these sort of representational images on them. And you're supposed to roll the dice and extrapolate from these images to create your own narrative based upon the components you were given. And I think there's something really fun and interesting about that. It's sort of a training for narrative creativity. And I plan to use them to augment my DMing. Because there are times as a DM where you have to ad-lib very quickly and think about what sort of things could be going on right now. And you need some sort of prompt. And I think that Rory Story Cubes could provide that sort of a prompt for you. Yeah, I had the opportunity to play with this quite a while ago. And it's just such an engaging concept just to roll out these dice. And you can really do a lot of things with them. Now, the game itself isn't really so much a game. If you look at the rule book, it's like, you could play it this way. You could play it that way. But really just do whatever you want with them. So it's a bit of an activity more than it is kind of a game. 
But there's a lot of fun stuff to do there. Yeah, the way I'm thinking about it is less as a game, as a, a standalone game, and more as a component for larger games, for role-playing games particularly, right? That ability to randomize elements and put a little bit of stuff outside of your control. As a DM, that's incredibly valuable because if you control the entire world uh, and, and it's all generated by you, it starts to feel a little sameish after a while. Sure. Right? The weather is the same every day. Right? No one mentions, you know, that doesn't get cold, it doesn't get hot, it doesn't rain, it doesn't snow, right? And uh, that just makes the world missing substance, right? That just means that the world is going to be missing some sorts of important dynamics that adding a little bit of chaos can bring to the table. Yeah, I mean, they're such iconic images, and there's so many different packs that you really can kind of throw them all together and really get some elaborate story or scenarios set up. Yeah. I also have a feeling that, you know, I, I'm, I don't have children yet, but if you were to have children, it would be a really fun way to play with your kids, right? You roll the dice and make up a story together. And I think that would be, uh, I think that's probably the intended use of them, actually. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like... <laughs> I would absolutely agree with that. So my acquisition is based upon a game that I picked up and talked about as our feature review in episode 26, Rivet Wars. Now, I had played some miniature combat games before, and I liked certain elements of it, some elements I didn't like, especially the element where it was really hard to get people into the game. You know, some of these miniature games are highly complex, and they really kind of fit a very niche market. So if you're not hardcore into that theme or into the history of the, those battles, it's usually something that people are not going to want to sit down and play for several hours. So I wanted to find a miniature game that I could play with a lot of people, would be quick, would be easy, would be fun, and somewhat family-friendly. So when I saw Rivet Wars, and I was just blown away, because outstanding artwork, outstanding miniatures, and it had... A World War One, which I, for me, seemed to be like kind of a really interesting period of time as far as the machinery went. And it had these little chibis, kind of Despicable Me characters fighting out against each other. So, this looked great. I picked it up. I was really happy with it. I saw it at PAX East, got a chance to play it, took it home, loved it ever since. But I was not one of the lucky people who found out about Rivet Wars on Kickstarter, so I wasn't able to get... All of the stuff. Now, when I mean all of the stuff, I am not kidding you. There are so many expansions, promos, and special characters in this game that it probably would take a single podcast to talk about all of them. But they recently released some of their expansions you can pick up at the store on a pre-order basis right now. And the one that really has got my acquisition disorder up has to be Rivet Wars Battle of Britain expansion. Because when you looked at the original Rivet Wars... You saw these beautiful bi-wing planes and zeppelins flying over the field that you can use in combat. And this was an essential part of the game that was missing from the base game. So if you didn't pick it up through the Kickstarter and you've been playing the base game and it's kind of missing some things out, it's because it's missing all the airships. Now you know this because if you look at the cards, a lot of the characters have a certain attack value versus you know flying vehicles. So this is really missing. Don't get me wrong. The Spearhead expansion, the Terrain Pack, the War Room expansion, the Faction Dice, the Tile Set expansion, and the Heavy Metal expansion, all very cool. But if you're going to play River Wars, you got to play with all those flying vehicles. Why wouldn't you? So for me, my acquisition disorder, trying to keep it in control, has to be River Wars Battle of Britain expansion. And now, At the Table with BGA. Our At the Table this week is a single game, but quite a featured game. We're going to be talking about Walled City by Mercury Games. So this is an area control game in which you're playing this medieval town. You lay out roads, you lay out walls, as it is a walled city, of course. And then you play cards that allow you to put peasants... And nobles. ...into the city. So... Eh, just because, you know, you're a peasant, you're kind of out there. But the nobles, you know, they're a little bit upper on the chain, at least in this kind of walled city. So they break ties. And that plays a big role in this game. But since the nobles aren't used to risking their life for much, uh, <laughs> if, you get, uh, if you leave nobles in an area that's not pure, entirely contained by walls, 
then they will run out at the end of the second uh, round of the game. Yes. And there's also a number of roles in which you can play in this game, too. And it allows you to have a special ability for that once for that round. Right. The guild powers at an interesting dynamic. So each round you select a guild power. It determines both play order and gives you a special power that you can use during the round. Which is really interesting. I like that dynamic of you want something really powerful, you're going to have to wait to take your turn then. Mm-hmm. So a nice balance and trade-off as far as that's concerned. So what do you think about Walled City, Daniel? Meh. Meh? Uh, <laughs> it was a game. It okay. It <laughs> was not terribly unentertaining, nor was it terribly entertaining. Uh, my biggest misgiving about the game is that there were a few mechanics that did very little. Or a few pieces introduced that seemed to me to not do the do enough work to be worth the effort. Uh, I'm not sure that the peasants and the nobles felt different enough to me to be worth differentiating. I mean, I, I, I get what's going on there. I do see that there is a difference, and I know it does affect play. But every time you add a new dynamic into a game, I think there needs to be a, a, a counterbalance, right? You need to see... If what you're adding is worth the complexity, right, is adding another piece, another set of rules, increasing the range of play enough to be worth it. Sure. And I'm not sure that that is the case with that, uh, the, the nobles and the peasants. There's also like a token to count which round you're in, but there's only two rounds. Sure. So I have no idea what that is there for. I mean, it's not like you're going to forget whether or not you have played a round or not. Well, there's the four different spots, and you're, you're counting also, and well, so A, B, C, and D, right? Well, there's that little circle piece that yes. goes over that, but then there's also that one that you just flip over, yep. and all it does in the game is flip over once. <laughs> That's its sole purpose for existence, is to, halfway through the game, flip sides. You know, I find that so interesting with that type of component and many others, especially the first player marker, mm-hmm. that it's, it's okay to have it, but I wonder cost-wise if it's necessary to have it. Yeah, it just it seems to be like yeah, it seems to be just an unnecessary complication and an unnecessary piece and I'm I'm a big fan of keeping it clean and keeping it simple. If it doesn't do something, it shouldn't be there. Sure. Um, now the board itself is plain, right? It's this kind of green, you know, you know, grassy setting with the, you know, the kind of like dirt roads kind of set up. Yeah, it it is not an overwhelmingly attractive game. No. No, it's 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 kind of bland, it's kind of basic. And then to start the game, you'll roll these dice that are different colors, and you'll place them on their positioning in the board, and that's going to kind of determine your strategy, right? So Mm -hmm. you want to be able to have the most units in those areas in order to control those dice, because depending on how many pips show up on those dice, it'll actually be that those dice will be worth a certain number of points in the game. Yeah, so you can score points both by having control of those dice units or by controlling territories or being second or third in those territories. Um, one thing we did notice playing through is there's a big advantage to diversifying or in that you can usually pick up sort of loose points everywhere. Uh, and at least for us, it turned out that the player who had been picking up all of these loose points rather than gaining the big, you know, I, got, I control the territory, but had been willing to come in second or third... Uh, ended up with more points in the end of the game because he had picked up all the points we left behind. Yeah, if you don't if you don't control the area, but if you come in second or third, it, there's a descending point total. Mm-hmm. But there's so many spots that are available because of the way the roads kind of break things up that it might be best to kind of go those little areas, like you know, like we were able to play in that game. I think one also the challenge is there too is this says you can it's best at three players. I don't think so. Yeah, I think you're right with that. I mean, so one thing is that strategy, which we just talked about, is especially going is going to be especially effective when there is that strategy that we were just talking about is going to be especially effective when there's three players because you can't come in any lower than third, right? Um, so your chance of getting those leftover points is pretty high. With four players, it may be less. I mean, I love area control games, but it it really does depend upon the number of players playing the game, and if the board doesn't accommodate different numbers of players, you're going to have a problem. I mean, think about Small World, how if you're playing with two players, there's a two-player board. If you're playing with three players, there's a three-player board, and so on and so forth. This says it plays best with three, but it's a four-player game. And, you know, if you're playing with four, you're going to see those secondary, you know, points kind of pop up. 
And it has a little more, you know, action to the game. I, I think it really fails as a two and three player game. And a four player game, it just might be okay. Um, there's also these little chits in the middle of the board where you can kind of flip them over and be able to raise the value of that area by one or minus it by one, which were okay. I mean, the component quality of this game is good. The dice are interesting. They're nicely colored. The chits are okay. The meatballs were really interesting because they are black, gray, a really dark kind of blonde green <laughs> and brown. And I'm like, I, we play games all the time and I've never in a game seem a collection of meeples so sad and depressed. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really, again, it's really not a very attractive game. And the color choices even were really probably poorly orchestrated. They don't pop at you. Uh, the, it just sort of, yeah, looks kind of gross almost. Like, it's, okay, why did you pick that shade of green and that shade of brown? I mean, the dice are really colorful, and maybe they're looking, trying to give you the idea of, like, this is what peasant life is like. This is the clothes that they wore. You know, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't fancy. But then again, the nobles are the same colors, too. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I just, I don't know what to make of the color choice. I don't know why that was their, their, uh, I don't know what to make of the color choice. (laughs) (laughs) He clearly doesn't know what to make of the color choice, and it's, you know, one of the things that this game could really use was an IP. Now, I don't know what IP could necessarily save this game, but it could have used a little more flavor, a little more color, a little more story, something a little bit more to this game because it is a very flat game on purpose, and no pun intended, but, you know, you put the walls and it becomes a three-dimensional game. You know, really, it kind of pops it, it kind of raises up a little bit, but even then... Maybe they should have went a little bit further with the component quality and made this a 3D kind of game board where you had like towers. You had to place towers around the board. So it really did feel like a walled city. I think that the wall pieces are fine. But since the towers are flat, it almost looks like you're just putting like roadblocks down. It doesn't seem like walls. If this is going to be a walled city, you got to give me high quality walled components. It's got to feel like a castle wall. Yeah, I mean... I, th- I think the biggest issue with this game overall is just it doesn't stand out. I mean, the name even is generic, right? Walled City. <laughs> and the colors aren't attractive, and the board isn't attractive, and the rule set isn't particularly unique. And it just sort of fades into memory very quickly. There were some things I did like about the game. The artwork on the guild cards was nice. I was really sorry that the guild cards didn't have a bigger role in the game. I thought they were going to be be able to play every round. They really kind of came out, they did their effect, and they kind of went away. And I was like, eh, all right. And, you know, to not be able to play that guild card over and over and over again, I really didn't feel the role that I was playing in this game. And it's also nice that the board has two sides. So you can play a slightly different game on the other side. But once again, it has the same problems. Really flat, boring type of artwork there. Yeah, I mean, I think that... You're right that being able to use the guild cards more would have really improved my enjoyment of the game. It would have made the game feel more dynamic and active, whereas as it was, it felt pretty passive and slow. And I think that's just sort of a gen- the general theme for the game, is they had lots of mechanics that were there, but barely. Yes. And they needed to draw more out of them. They needed to make more of a difference between the peasants and the nobles, at least if you ask me. They needed to take more advantage of the fact that they had all these phases passing during the round to make make each of them more eventful. They needed to take more advantage of the really well-drawn and interesting uh, guild cards with, you know, very dynamic powers that could have really changed gameplay in a lot of cool ways. And I mean, there was a component to it where you didn't play all the guild cards, right? Some came out, so you couldn't choose from all of them, which is nice. But, you know, the first time we played it, a lot of the interesting ones kind of went out of the deck. And that was kind of sad because that would have been a little more interesting. But, you know, I want to play guild cards. I want to play roles. I want to have good cards, good components when I played a game called Walled City. Yeah, I want to have more decisions to make, and I want there to be more interesting things that happen. Mm-hmm. And as it is, it's all very predictable and very slow. Um, so I, I, I ultimately did not enjoy it very much, unfortunately. <laughs> so that would be a dodge for you? Uh, yeah, it's it's on the border between play and dodge. I'd be willing to play it again if it were the only thing on the table, 
But that's not very high praise because, I mean, I'm on a board game podcast. If the only way I want to play a game is because <laughs> it's the only game around, that's that's indicative of trouble. Um, so I would put it into the dog category. It's really not worth playing if there are other good games available. Sure. Area control games are what brought me into the gaming hobby. And then, you know, I kind of expanded from there. I really loved area control games. I do like the idea that you can play a card and it has one number on one side and one number on another side and there's a deck of cards and you have to kind of be strategic on where do you play the cards because it'll, you know, it'll put meeples on one side or the other or move meeples to another area or will score you victory points. So I love the idea of these type of cards. That being said, there are better area control games out there and that's kind of sad to say because I was hoping that Walled City was going to be one of these kind of great games where the walls really played such a big part of the game and it kind of fell flat. So it's going to be a dodge for me as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm looking at the Board Game Geek site right now as we're talking, and their ratings are very high, so it's 7.84 out of 10. That's a very strong rating. Um, So I guess I I want to add the caveat that I, I suppose our opinion is the minority opinion here. But I'm pretty confident in my assessment, and I'm confident in your assessment. I think that the game is uh, is is being overrated on Board Game Geek, uh, and that there are better games to play. What what uh, area control game would you suggest people play instead? If you had to pick one. Well, Small World is always a good game, especially because it's really dynamic. It has the colors. You get to play the powers over and over again, and the board scales to the number of players. Yeah, and I, I as soon as you mentioned that one, my heart. Got happy, right? That, that is actually one of the first hobby board games I ever bought, even before I met you guys, before I was even in the hobby officially. Sure. I saw it on tabletop, I picked up a copy, played it with some friends, and it is a fantastic game. So I guess uh, play that, not this. Play Small World, not Walled City. <laughs> I think we agree on that. Small World is not a direct competitor to Walled City, but the area control mechanic does stand as does scaling the board for different numbers of players. Walled City is a good concept with good mechanics. It just seemed to either run out of money or run out of time. I would love to be able to see Walled City get an expansion to correct some of these issues and bring in some high-quality components. I think an expansion that did this and maybe threw in an IP on top of it could really bring Walled City to a whole new level. I hope to see that soon. And now our crowdfunding update with Kick in the Habit. Hey there, kickers. This is Chris from Kick in the Habit. And on episode 26 of Kick in the Habit, we're going to take a look at four campaigns that recently wrapped up, including Steampunk Rally, Oddball, Aeronauts 2, Double the Trouble, Lap Dance, and I Hate Zombies, Board Game Geek's micro game number one. And four brand new campaigns that I'm guaranteeing you are going to blow your mind include Viceroy, Fantasy Pyramid Cardboard Game, Emergence, Genesis, a superhero deck building game, The Guardians Explore, and Epic Metal Coins for Tabletop Gaming. So check us out this week, Wednesday, December 12, 2017, and I'll let you know if you should kick it off, kick it to the curb, or just kick back and wait. And now our top 10 list. So as I said earlier, party games are fun. Party games should be fun. But party games can also be such a drag and boring and just grating on your soul. And hours and hours that you have to sit there and do some random thing that makes absolutely no sense. And as a gamer like you are, you know, we're at a different level. And that's not to mean that non-gamers aren't intellectually there. But, you know, we're used to kind of thinking dynamically. And we're used to... You know, interesting gameplay and how these things snowball together and what strategy and what tactics should I use and should I play this card now or should I hold on to it? Am I going to press my luck here? And you play a party game, you're like, ah, oh, this is a game. It's going to be fun. It's, uh, all right, I roll the dice and I move the guy two spaces. You go. Oh, you roll the dice, you move it. Yeah. And it just kind of really, it not only sinks the party, but it sinks gaming. Mm-hmm. So what we wanted to talk about this week was 
the party games that are actually for gamers. Right. Now, party games is kind of a nebulous category, but there are a sure. few things that party games have in common that we wanted to latch on to. Uh, one thing a party game has to be able to do is let everyone at the party play, right? So party games, as a rule, allow at least four, usually considerably more than that, players, right? Somewhere between... Eight and ten is ideal. Some maybe down as low as six. And most of the games we're going to be talking about are able to hold parties of eight or ten players at a time. Though some of them are smaller. Um, but I think all of them are going to be able to handle more than four players at once. Yeah, I mean, it should be a big enough party that's just not sitting at a table. And in that kind of vein, the components should be minimal. You know, you shouldn't have, a, you shouldn't have to have a half hour of setup for a party game because the party's going on. You want to be able to get in there... Throw the game down, break it out. The rules should be quick and easy to understand because not everyone's a gamer, but you want to involve as many people as possible. The more, the better, because that's the good part of a party game. And once again, to involve everyone. So it could be younger people, it can be older people, gamers, non gamers types of people. And it should be fun and it shouldn't be something that you walk away and go, Oh, that was really lousy. Or, yeah, I can't play this anymore. It's just not working for me. Yeah, and I mean, I think the thing you're touching on there several times, right, is this, all of those problems that can happen, right, if you have too many components, if the rules are too complicated, they get in the way of interaction, right, which is the party part of the party game, right? It can't just be a good game that plays a lot of people. It has to be a game that, when it is played appropriately and played correctly, involves a lot of social interaction and enjoyment, right, where a large portion of the enjoyment of the game is due to interaction with those around you. And so I think that's going to be one of the defining elements of a party game as well. That's true. Especially because when you're bringing games to a party, you never know what space you're going to have available. And the party might be using up most of the available space. So you really want to have a small footprint too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Daniel, what is your number 10 party game? So my number 10 party game is Once Upon a Time, which is the storytelling card game. It's... Uh, a lot of fun. You draw cards uh, into your hands to weave these narratives. We talked about this game a couple of times before, and I'm sure most of you are familiar with it. But right, the core concept is just you build a story, you try to get it to end in a certain way, and if you do, you win. Winning isn't really all that important, which is kind of a theme for party games in general. Everyone should have fun even when losing. But there are ways to win the game and ways to lose. Uh, the only reason I rank it so low, because it is such a clever and innovative game, and I'm really a big fan of any game that fosters creativity or sort of communal narrative, because I think there's something very powerful about creating a communal narrative, uh, is that this game depends so desperately on having an excellent group of players who are all willing to participate in this communal narrative with their fullest effort and are all good at that. Uh, because if they're not individually good at storytelling and if they're not individually interested in joining into storytelling, uh, the game falls apart. And it just takes one weak link and the, the narrative chain is broken. Yes. Um, great game if you've got a creative group of friends, uh, frequent role players, uh, people who spend time reading a lot of fiction and writing fiction and that sort of thing. Because they're going to weave this wonderful, fun story out of it. Improv. Folks probably also be pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. um, not a very good game if you have people who really aren't willing to put themselves out there and be creative. And one of the downsides of this for a party game, right, is party games are supposed to get people to warm up to one another. Mm -hmm. This is not a good icebreaker unless everyone is an extrovert and everyone's very outgoing because people who aren't are going to not be willing to participate like this. Yeah, I think that's the true mark of a party game where... If it completely depends on the group of people you're with, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be something you should hesitate before you bring to a party. And that's probably why it's at the opposite end of our number one, just because it's a great game. It offers so many possibilities. Anyone can sit down and play it and provide a story. But you do need somewhat of a good group for it. Yeah, yeah. Very group dependent, but a great game. That's Once Upon a Time at rank number 10. All right. So for our number nine party game, it's got to be Dixit. Big fan of it. I have all the expansions and it's about to explode from the box that I have wrapped up. And I am still buying expansions. So keep going. <laughs> now, Dixit is a game that I do bring to parties. But once again, as we said 
before, it is one of these games where you do want to have a good crowd of people. It's not as painful, you know, as some other games where, you know, at once upon a time that you need a highly, you know, artistic, creative type of group. Because you're going to get the cards. And the cards are beautiful and interesting. And there is something to look at. And there's something to play with. And if someone's too vague, you know, they get no points. If they're too obvious, they get no points. And if they're just right in the middle and they're catching two or three people, that's the prime situation. That's really where the kind of the strategy and tactics. Do I know you well enough to throw a clue out there that only you are going to get and nobody else? So this game does have some strategy. It is not as group dependent but it does have some group dependency issues with it yeah yeah i mean it dixit is once upon a time without words but with pictures right yes. so there's a lot of similarities in the way it affects the group i think you're right though that it is less group dependent because you don't have to build the chain right you don't have to keep track of the events that happened uh, because you know like once upon a time if someone did something you thought was nonsensical you're not going to be able to remember that sometimes yeah. right? you're not going to be able to remember the way the story is but here it's all about this. It's all right in front of you. You get to interact with one another. Um, it is, I think, a great way of showing how people think. So that can be a very effective, you know, icebreaker. Though there are always those horrible moments where you see a person holding a can a candle and you write out out, right? <laughs> and no one at the table gets your reference, and you just go, okay. So no one here has read any Shakespeare. Got it. Like. <laughs> I'm gonna, and that can cause you to sort of retract. I think sometimes. Sure. Well, life is a poor player, right? That starts yeah. and frets its hour upon the stage, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's it is a bit of a challenge, but it's something at least as a gamer when you sit down to play it, you're kind of entertained and engaged by the game itself. So that's why it's our number nine. Yeah, and it's just a gorgeous game. Yeah. Well, so I guess our number eight and my number four, you know, these numbers aren't all that important, but you know, sometimes, sometimes, well, as we uh, said, player dependency, yeah, player dependency, that, that, that is a big, uh, significant caveat on those, uh, is going to be Dread Curse. Uh, Dread Curse is a game where you play as pirates trying to gather wealth. Uh, we've talked about this, uh, not too long ago, uh, at least briefly on the podcast. Uh, and I played it at the extra life event we had at the late great gamers gambit with a friend of the show, Seth, um, He's he a great guy. Hi, Seth, if you're listening. Um, it's it's a fun game. You take on roles. You have powers. You're trying to get as much gold as possible while avoiding the black spot. Uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, and I think it's a pretty fun game. Yeah, I had the opportunity to play this as well some other time previously. And I really enjoy this game. You know, Smirking Dagger games... You know, as a company, absolutely adore. As, you know, the Cutthroat Cavern type of game, not really a fan. But this game, I really like this game. I can do something here as far as how do I pick the roll cards. I can do something here as how I kind of maneuver my money to other people throughout the game. And then I have those action cards which I can play. So there's a lot of different types of play in this game. And they're all a lot of fun. And yet at the same time, it's very accessible for a lot of people. Yeah, it's a, it's a very simple, straightforward game. Lots of fun. The components are pretty good quality, and all the powers and abilities are pretty interesting. The real caveat here that puts it down on this end of the list is it is a smirk and dagger game. <laughs> you should know what that means already. But if you didn't, it is a screw you game of yeah. the highest order, right? It's, it's not as bad as some can be, sure. but winning this game means screwing over other players, and that can cause bad blood. So if these people aren't gamers and haven't been tested, right, and haven't gotten to the use, gotten used to the idea of being beaten, uh, then uh, it might not work out that well. Mm -hmm. But one of the good things about this game, as we said, as we're, we're whittling down our list of number one, is that this game really isn't, you know, group dependent so much. Yeah. You know, I mean, yes, as you said, you made a good point there as far as if they're going to get upset with you kind of backstabbing... Probably not for this group because this game does have a lot of backstab in it. Yeah, it's, you know, while, while both uh, Dixit and Once Upon a Time are dependent upon, you know, massively creative people, all Dread Curse really requires is that no one take it too seriously. Yes. Uh, and if you can guarantee that at your party, it's a great game to bring to the table. Great. So, my next game would be Shadow Hunters. Now, Shadow Hunters is a really interesting party game because. I think it was the concept that really brought gamers to the table, which was you would have these shadow hunters and you would have these, 
traditional horror monsters. You know, you had a werewolf, you had you had you had a vampire, and you had all these odd kind of creatures. So right from the start, gamers are engaged, right? This has a really thick fantasy element to it. At the start of the game, you're given a card, which is your role in the game. So you could be on the Shadow Hunter side, or you could be one of these shadow type of creatures. And in addition to that, which really, in this part really makes the game, you could be one of these neutral characters that have different kind of win conditions. So one of them might be you need to die first, or everyone else needs to die, or the person to the left needs to die, or some other kind of crazy condition. And then on top of that, all of the characters have a special ability. So when you get your card, you play it face down, but at some point, if it does benefit you and if the card does allow you, you flip your card over, which exposes who you are, but lets you enact a special ability in the game. It's a very short game. It's a very simple game. The board itself is really tiny, and there's different spots that you go to on the board. There's green spots, there's white and black, and there's multiple cards that you pick up. The green ones allow you to get information on other people. So you pull up a green card, and it'll say, you know, if you are a shadow hunter, take one damage. And if I think Daniel's a shadow hunter and I want to find that out, I'll hand the card to Daniel. He'll react to it without anyone else knowing because only him and I know the card. And that gives me some information. Huh. This is, I've never played Shadow Hunters, but this sounds like a fun game. Um, it, from the way you're describing the powers and the way the cards work, it sounds kind of like Dread Curse in that it does have a strong screw you opponent. Uh, yes. opponent? That... But the thing is, you don't know, necessarily know who to you know backstab in this game. Okay. So you don't you in order to win the game, your side needs to win unless you're a neutral character. So if you're a shadow hunter, if everyone gets gets knocked out and there's a shadow hunter remaining, you, your team wins. Okay. So as I said, you're going to be shooting, slapping people around for a bit until people start either dying or becoming revealed, and then you're like, oh. I shouldn't have been doing that to you. I feel really bad about that. And uh, the neutral characters are kind of thrown in there to make things a lot of fun. And it's a really great game, and it plays with gamers and non-gamers alike. Oh, sounds great. That's Shadow Hunters, man. Awesome. So my third game, and our sixth game, is Turkey My Mayonnaise. Now, I remember ranting about this game on the podcast once not too long ago after we came back from a meetup in New Jersey where we played with folks uh, down there. Yep, New Jersey board gamers. What's up, guys? Hey. Uh, turkey my mayo is uh, turkey my mayonnaise to be a, you know proper referred to by its full <laughs> names. Me and this game are on uh, you know we're close, so we have nicknames. Uh, anyway, uh, is just a very fun game. It's very simple. It could even be learned by children. I think yes. with almost no difficulty. Right, you're just building sandwiches by recipes to accrue points. Once you hit the amount of critical amount of points, you win. Uh, it can handle anywhere from 2 to 10 players, which is just a massive range and really good for a party game. And when we played, and when we played, there were 10 players at the table. Yes. And it, uh, it went really well. And so that was uh, a big vote of confidence for this game. Now, there are some downsides. You'll spend, there's a possibility of spending time doing nothing. Yes. Um, and there are some screw you cards, but they're pretty cutesy. And I, I, didn't, <laughs> I never felt like I was getting slapped in the face even if the card said slap them in the face, right? Like, <laughs> they threw glass in my sandwich. He was like, oh, that's crazy. Ha, 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 right? Um, yeah, quick playing game. Really simple. It's cutesy. The cards are good quality and very durable, which is something that's nice, right? You could spill on them and they would survive, which is important for party games. And that's a pretty cheap game too, right? Yeah, it was it was $10, I think. Okay. Um, so if you play it once, you've gotten your money's worth. Yeah, sure. especially with the number of people too. So the one challenge with this game is you need to get a recipe, you need to build a sandwich. And then as you're building the sandwich, people are taking away the stuff from your sandwich. And then you try to build another sandwich and taking stuff away from your sandwich. So you really want to build your sandwich kind of quickly. And everyone's trying to get the right cards in order to kind of put things together. But as you said, and this is one of those games that it plays so light and easy and fun. And the stay of you in the back cards are kind of fun and humorous. And not personally directed to you, just throwing messing up your sandwich a little bit. And even if they do mess up your sandwich, you can still score your sandwich. It's just not going to be as many points. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's just a really a very good game for there. It, it does have some instances where players will end up sitting bored. Yeah. Um, right. If you don't get the right combination of recipe and ingredients, you kind of just sit there going, "Well, nothing's happening over here." In the times I've played, that's been relatively rare, but it does happen. Uh, so that's why it's not higher on the list yep all right so our number five game is snake oil 
Now, snake oil is quite an interesting game. And if you know anything about snake oil, that's when these charlatans used to go around and try to sell their magic elixirs and tonics to be able to heal and give you superpowers and everything you could possibly want. So in this game, one player is going to get a red card, which is the person that's going to be purchasing the product. Then everyone else gets these purple cards and they'll be able to put together some sort of product that matches the need of that customer. So you might have you know, an elderly couple and that's the customer. And then you have all these different cards and it could be like movies, old chewed up gum, um, you know, bicycle horn and like all these kind of random things. And you have to kind of make up a little tiny narrative about this product that is, you know, using these cards in order to sell to that customer. So in this type of game, it's fun because, you know, you can make it as simple as, you know, this is movie bubble gum that you can go down to the movies and buy this bubble gum. And like that might sell to the person that is buying or you can kind of get really elaborate or you can get funny or you can get a little bit crude. You can really do whatever you want with these cards because the interaction, the fun of this game is putting together this product in your mind, taking these random components and inventing something that is unique. Whether or not it sells, eh, you can't really worry about that, but it's fun to kind of put together that product. Yeah, this sounds really interesting in that it it, it kind of sounds like Turkey My Mayo plus uh, the games we talked about earlier, like Once Upon a Time, like uh, Dixit, and that it takes the Turkey My Mayo kind of recipe thing, but adds a lot of creativity that Turkey My Mayo doesn't have, right? Um, And while it adds creativity, it's within a confined enough space that it sounds like most people would really be able to come up with some pretty fun ideas here. Yeah, this game has a number of different basic versions. They're all equally good it recently had a Kickstarter. You can pick it up for about 15 bucks, So it's it's really worth it for that. It was kind of surprising because anytime people say, come down and sit to play this party game, I'm like, Ugh. But I really did enjoy this enjoy this game. And even when I wasn't scoring points because my you know creation wasn't being picked, I still really enjoyed it. So it was a lot of fun. And that's Snake Oil. All right. So our number four and my number two is a game that takes place in a bright light city that's going to set my soul, set my soul on fire, and that is Las Vegas. Now, Las Vegas is the ultimate dice gambling board game out there, right? <laughs> short, short of craps, like sort of actually da- you know, gambling with dice. This is uh, as good as you're going to get for that. Las Vegas is a dice allocation game. You roll your dice and you allocate dice to... Uh, one of six boards based upon what face is showing, right? So the boards are numbered one through six. If you have more dice on that board than anyone else, then you get the top reward. If you have second, you get the second reward and so on. It, it's uh, it's a great game. It's incredibly light. It's incredibly small. We actually listed this in our lunch pail games at one point in time too because it's so portable and easy to move and easy to play and quick to play. Uh, it's it's just a fun time. Sure. It takes up barely any footprint whatsoever. And the little Las Vegas kind of casinos are kind of mobile because it's just little cards. So you can kind of put them anywhere, squeeze them together. The cash is regular paper money, but here it's not offensive because you're kind of sticking it next to it. So you're not really handling the cash. And the dice are colorful. It's simple. It's fast. I've had multiple game meetups where new people have come in, and this has been the game I, I've gone to. It's the go-to game, literally. It's the go-to. I run over and pick up this game and bring it over because, honestly, you're just rolling dice. And here, roll the dice. Okay, you got two ones, and you have you know three fours. What do you want to do? Do you want to put all the fours there? Do you want to do the ones? So it's pretty simple, it's, and it's fun. Yeah, and it's not it's not just a simple game, too, right? Like, uh, like all these games that they're appropriate for gamers, I think a good piece of evidence for that is... When we were doing the Extra Life event, Vegas came out several times, and these were not new gamers, right? These are people who saw, hey, 12 hours straight of playing board games, that sounds like something I would do, Sure. Uh, and came down, and they had a great time. So on the off chance that you haven't played Las Vegas, it is something you should definitely, definitely look into. And I think for gamers, we're always looking for interesting decisions to be made. So when you have your pool of dice that's been rolled, you have to make a decision. Do you want to challenge somebody else? Do you want to put all of those, you know, four of those four pit dice on one spot and really kind of crowd it in and try to hold it? Or do you want to play one die 
just to take something and then hopefully come back and maybe there's something out there later for you. So it does have a couple of interesting decisions. So our number three and my number two game, Concept. Now we talked about this and Daniel and I got a chance to play this with my family. Concept, as I said, my concept about Concept is it's charades for introverts. And by that I mean you'll get this big whiteboard that has all these different colorful pictures on it. And you'll get these really interesting kind of translucent pieces that you'll be placing on the board to try to express a concept on the card. So it could be as something as simple as Titanic or it could be something as complicated as a you know some kind of phrase that you have to kind of play out on the board. So instead of having to jump up and down and you know wave your arms and bounce around and pick things up and make you know certain sound cues, you just actually place the pieces in a certain order because you'll have these you know major little components to place down and the smaller ones. And that tells a story. And if they're not getting it, you just move the pieces around to kind of retell the story. So you don't have to worry about being a grand extrovert or some, you know, method actor (laughs) that could kind of, you know, explore the different dimensions of humanity and be able to express that to people. It's like, nope, I put one, you know, I put one uh, marker on a boat, I put another marker on down, and I put another marker on an ice cube. You got it, right? (laughs) So it's not too challenging as far as that is. But the card itself has a lot of different stages to it. So you can pick out the more challenging phrases, which you have to play out. And it's actually fun and surprising when someone's able to kind of guess it. And once again, it's not so group dependent because even if people aren't getting it, you figure out a way to kind of express that to other people. And that's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, when we played, we even went through some very complicated concepts and found ways to express it. And we were playing with mostly non-gamers. We were playing with one person who isn't a native English speaker. And it all worked out very well, with the exception of one or two words that he didn't know and needed to replace. Which is understandable and would have happened in charades or any other game like this. Absolutely. Um, But yeah, it was just a very good time. There is one where I have, which is if you tried to play with too large a group, you might not be able to see the board, but sure. not everyone needs to be able to see the board at once, right? Yes. And the scoring in this game is kind of, you know, slapped on at the end. You know, if you get this and you get that, you get one of these bulbs or two of these bulbs. I would say get rid of the scoring and just whoever guesses the concept would score the point because it, it bogs down if you're trying to make this a game game type of situation. Yeah, and as a rule for party games, right, you don't want to focus too much on scorekeeping because that means someone's got the pencil and pad paper over in the corner of the room doing algebra the game (laughs) is just not that fun all right well anyway that's concept yeah what a concept uh so uh our we're not sure how to rank these two because we both have our own contention for number one our own view about what number one should be so what we're going to do is present our our arguments and our cases and let you guys decide. And then you can go on the forums and tell Daniel how he's wrong and how I'm right. Yeah, which is not at all. <laughs> uh, Daniel is not at all wrong and Chris is not at all right. <gasps> so, my candidate for the best gamers party game of all time is 1,000 Blank White Cards. Now, 1,000 Blank White Cards is exactly what it says on the tin. It is a bunch of Blank White Cards. And what you do is you write rules and effects on the cards. You draw pictures, what have you. Essentially, you make the game as you go along. Now, 1,000 blank white cards cost as much as a pack of index cards cost, uh, or whatever you choose to write on it. So it's effectively free. It's very, very cheap, and if it gets destroyed, no one minds. Uh, It's creative, it's flexible, and the nice thing about it is, in the same way that once upon a time in these games with these sort of group narratives form a sort of cohesive uh, unity within the party, uh, 1,000 blank white cards, you all contribute to making the game what it is, right? Everyone feeds into it, and so what you have by the end is the, the game we made, right? Our game. And that is just a wonderful element for bringing a bunch of people together, which is what I think is one of the most important parts of a party game. And now as you play this game more, right? So if you have weekly meets, meetings or monthly meetings or have another party, right? Or have a party with different people even, you can break out the same deck and following a certain set of rules and following the same rules, you can have players continue to introduce 
uh, new cards and new dynamics to the game. The result is a game that never dies, never stays the same, never stagnates, right? Uh, and and is, is always changing in new and interesting ways and reflects all those good times you had at the party, right? And the end of the year, end of the decade, what have you, if you have your thousand blank white cards, you have a record of all the good times you and your friends had. Uh, and this is the game that came from that. And so I think that is going to be hard to beat. So uh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what you got, Chris? Well, I don't have a thousand blank cards. Uh, it took a lot of work there. But I have something that I think is even more fun. And everyone agrees, right? Right? Somebody? Somebody Cricket. Agrees? Cricket. 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 Wow. Well, the cr- I, I gave a stirring speech, <laughs> sir, about the value of friendship. <laughs> so you're going to have to top that. I want to bring to you a game that, as we talked about throughout this whole podcast, you know, when you play a party game, it's so group dependent. And the success and failure is based upon the players in the game being able to contribute in some way that carries the game. So like as Daniel was saying with the thousand cards, like it carries the game a little bit further. Everyone does feel engaged. Everyone does feel cooperating. Everyone does feel a part of the whole so what game involves everybody, it doesn't require a specific level of skill, and but has some strategy and kind of fun to it, You're some kind of skill that kind of can come into play, or sometimes even just random luck. I am talking about Telestrations. Now, if you haven't played Telestrations before, it's kind of like as kids when you play Telephone mixed with Pictionary. Now, I know we all have our problems with Pictionary, but don't leave yet, so... With Telestrations, and you can get the Telestrations, the regular version, which plays up to eight people, or you can play the Telestration, the 12-party pack. Now, you'll get this little kind of plastic deck, which has like this little flip over. So the object of the game is to score points. And actually, this is a party game that scoring points is actually fun and not stressful at all. Because you're given a card, and you have a word, let's say, you know, Parade. And your job is you'll you'll flip open this plastic kind of book and then you'll write the word parade. Then you'll flip over to the next page and you'll try to draw the parade. Now, at this point, when you're drawing, things are being timed. Now, usually when you're playing Pictionary, this is where the stress and the anxiety and the frustration comes in because I'm not an artist. What the hell are you trying to do to me? But because it's timed, you don't have a lot of time to think about that. And the fun part, the great part about this game is... The worse the the design is, the worse the artistry is, the more fun it is. Because now you've drawn something, you flip it over to the next person, you you pass it over to the right, you get a new one, and the person to your right who who got this you know artistic work of yours is trying to deduce is what are they trying to say with this picture, and so they have to say you know give a word or whatever the concept of what they think it is. So maybe they they saw your drawings with all the people and then. Maybe they thought it was a war instead of a parade, and they write war, and you know, and then they pass it over, and then the next person gets it, and they draw something, and they're under the timer, so it comes out crazy, and they pass it over, and the person looks at it and goes, uh, you know, I'm I'm not sure, but it could be a parade. They write parade, and they you know, then they pass it around, and the next person gets it, and it's like, and and they look at the drawer, and they're like, ah, you know. I, I think it's a hippopotamus because there's a lot of different, looks like a lot of legs here or is a centipede or something. So, all right, I'm going to put centipede and they'll put, so w- eventually the pad comes back around to you and this is the scoring part, part of the game where you flip over and you announce to the group the word was parade and then you flip over the next one and then you see if they match with your drawing. And like if they didn't, they don't score a point obviously, but it's a lot of fun because to see how people you know pull out certain concepts from this really kind of crazy stick figure drawing and then as it goes on like with any good game of telephone it always ramps up so it gets more and more crazy and crazy as it goes on but sometimes just sometimes people do get it right and you'll you'll be able to score points because people got it right and once in a while people's artistry is just good enough that they'll get it'll go around and everyone will get it right but it's a lot of fun. It's really simple. If you're a bad artist, it's a great game. If it's a good, if you're a good artist, that's fine. But it doesn't matter the group. Everyone enjoys it. Everyone laughs. Everyone has a good time. And and by the end of it, you're able to kind of look back and see a whole journey that started with your drawing. 
Okay, so those are our two contenders for top party game, and there are a whole top ten list here, of course. Uh, so we're going to throw the question to you guys. Which would you prefer? Would you prefer a game uh, that is the unfettered exploration of human creativity and a living record and testament of all the good times you've had with your friends and loved ones, or some game about drawing or something? <laughs> Uh, it's up to you. Um, let us know. And if you think one of the other games we listed or something else we missed altogether should rightfully take that top place, let us know and let us know why. We want to hear from you. Yeah, check us out on Board Game Geek. Our forum's there. We always post our episodes up there and we'd love to hear what you have to say. I know a number of you have emailed us and sent messages and we'd love to hear from you. So please get back to us and let us know if these games go over well at your party. All right. Well, that was our uh, top 10 gamers party games. Uh, and I think we've got some really good contenders in that list. Um... And now, our final round. So with our final round this week, we talked about some great party games. Now we want to talk about some games that we absolutely positively do not want to invite to the party. Yeah. You know, there are lots of games out there which are wonderful party games, and those are the ones we talked about today. The bulk of party games are kind of meh. But there are a few games, and I think all of us have our own, that when you see them, the party's over. Yes, they're definitely the party poopers of the games. Yeah. yeah. And these are games that you probably have played at some point. And, you know, maybe they have an element here and there. But for gamers, we need a game of high quality, high intellect, something that's going to engage us, something that's going to play with a lot of people, and they're not going to get turned away from the hobby. Yeah. So, Chris, what's your uh, number two most hated (sighs) party game? It's kind of hard to say as a gamer, as a hobby gamer, that this game would not be one of my favorite games because it's played everywhere. But the party game that just does not work for me has to be Werewolf. Now, there are a lot of versions of Werewolf. Some are better than the others. But the generic Werewolf where you're playing the Werewolves, the Villagers, the Seer, and maybe just one or two other characters. You know, the problems with this game are are a lot. First off... It is a completely random game. Yes, maybe the seer gets some information. Yes, maybe the seer is able to help people. But that's probably few and far between. And pretty much what you're doing is just killing other players throughout the game. And, you know, it's a player elimination game. And when you're at a party and you get everyone to sit down and really you tell them about the game and you give the big speech. And then, you know, two minutes into the game, hi, we're going to pick you, you're done. And then that person gets to walk off and do nothing for the next hour and a half as you knock off other people. And that really wasn't fun at all. And uh, that's kind of lame. And who you choose to knock off, especially in the early rounds, is, you know, is, is so completely random that what's the point? Werewolf has a lot of problems to it. Now, I did have an earlier review about One Night Ultimate Werewolf, which adds a lot more characters a shorter gameplay, it's one single night instead of, you know, 15 minutes to 500 hours. But Werewolf, the basic game, is something that I will dodge each and every time because it's either super boring or you get eliminated. And actually, I've known players who purposely try to get eliminated so they don't have to play Werewolf anymore. Yeah, I, I, we've talked about this a bit before, and I, I definitely see where you're coming from. Werewolf is a really fun game if you make it to the final rounds. If you're cut out immediately, it's just, well, I wanted to play with you guys, but I guess I don't get to really play the game at all. Yeah, you know, and the, the player elimination is bad, but it's also bad because it's almost based upon nothing. I mean... It really is. I mean, the roles kind of add a little bit to it, and there's just so many versions of this that, you know, sometimes it does even get a little too complicated. So if you go, well, we add a lot of roles to the game. Now you're spending a long time asking the other players to do their roles in the game, and now it gets a lot more complicated. So it's either nothing at all, super complicated, get eliminated, or get bored. So just does not work. Yeah, I think that... Because, especially in the early game, there's almost no in-game reason to eliminate someone, but you have to. Yeah. It's really hard not to take that personally. Sure. Right? Because there, there's no professional reason. Right? There's no in-game reason. It's just they picked you because they didn't like you today. or Right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know what to do now. Yeah, and I, and I think you're right that One Night is a much better version of this yeah. game. Especially, you want to engage people, and it just doesn't engage people. And there's really no reason to eliminate people, but you have to. And people get maybe take that personally. Yeah. 
Um, so uh, my number two party pooper. Uh, uh, see what you uh, did there. Uh, is actually on this list because I think it's juvenile, and uh, apparently I should reconsider myself uh, <laughs> after making that joke and then complaining about something being juvenile. Um, and this is less an individual game and more category of games, which includes things like Quelf and Curses. Any game in which put on a silly hat is a <laughs> core mechanic. <laughs> Now, when I was a kid, I, I'll admit, I loved these games because putting on a silly hat was the height of humor that my small child brain could, could enjoy and understand. But as I've grown older, I just can't stand games that are all just, oh, I'm, now you have to talk with a silly voice or talk like a pirate or cover an eye. Like, it just, <laughs> all right, yeah, I guess I can do that, but I'm going to get really tired in about five minutes and not want to stand on my head anymore, so we're not doing this. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those kind of cardinal rules that you don't want to happen. You don't want people to feel uncomfortable. You don't want people to be felt made feel like they're being made fun of, and you know, especially when a game makes you do those things for really no particular reason. It's like I don't know why I'm doing something incredibly stupid and embarrassing myself for nothing. Yeah, and even you know, even embarrassment aside, it's just not very entertaining. Like, sure, everyone around you isn't having a good time at your expense because they're not having a good time either. Right, you're just talking in a funny voice, and they're going, "Oh my god, please stop!" While you, <laughs> so those games, any game where the whole shtick is talk funny, don't take your left hand off your right ear, any of that stuff, I'm out. Yeah, unfortunately, there's a lot of games like that because they don't take much creative thought about actually putting a game in there. Yeah, and especially for us as gamers, we want to play a game. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So that's everything for this week. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter. Check us out on Board Game Geek. Check us out wherever you find us. Just say, hey, I know you guys from the podcast. Just come hang out with us. Play games with us. We always like to hear from you. So, you know, rate us on iTunes. Put down some comments so that we can get some great party games for a lot of people. The more that people know about the podcast, the more great games that are out there. So you don't run into those really bad kind of sad games. So for this week, this is Chris. And this is Daniel. And until next time, we'll save you a seat at the table that's playing Telestrations. There will be nothing but free seats at the table that's playing Telestrations. Because everyone will be at my table when we're playing a thousand blank white cards. They won't be because they won't know it's a game. It's just a thousand blank cards. Hey, at least I've got a thousand blank cards. You just have like five blank cards. All right, so a I've thousand got more blank cards than you, and all we have are blank cards. All right. So I think I win. Okay, so a thousand times zero—that's that's a big number. I'm hey, sure that's your zero. You're talking about. I'm just saying. So you decide, you let us know, and you get to decide which party you want to hang out with because my table is having fun and you've heard about it here. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know where the party's at. They don't because they couldn't read because there wasn't anything on the cards. <laughs> Alright, before this shit becomes <laughs> in, infinite and unending, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>